should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's Monday, October 31st. It's the last day of October. I can't believe it. That means I'm going to sleep early, like I mentioned last week, uh, just so that I can wake up tomorrow and be like, it's November 1st, and there's 24 days left until Thanksgiving. I guess you should, I mean, you know, I, I guess I could say that Thanksgiving or the holidays, it's the best time of the year for me, or I love it, and I do. I know, kind of cheesy, I'm a cheese ball, uh, but that's the truth. Anyway, I did want to bring up the fact, though, that a friend of mine made a great point in that Halloween is uh, it's a gay holiday. It can be considered a gay holiday because the LGBTQ community has always celebrated Halloween, uh, especially you know before liberation. It gave us an opportunity to just be be us without being criticized and or discriminated and or treated differently. Um, so it's very interesting that people celebrate Halloween and and, and don't think about that you know or think of those things you kind of tend to do it either for the kids and or because you're having fun but for a lot of us in the lgbtq community it actually was the one holiday that we uh we felt included where we felt like we could be ourselves and we felt like we could be anyone and anything um but anyway if you are celebrating halloween out there remember to stay safe <laughs> It's a crazy world out there right now, especially if you're turning on the news. And I mean that in, in a lot of ways, um, not just from a, a physical perspective as in, you know, people getting hurt and all that stuff. But even uh, politically, it could drive you crazy just for watching the news. Um, it can it make you mentally ill. I feel that way anyway. It's just so stressful. We have all of our shows posted at michellemeow.com. Um, that includes podcasts and our television shows, so that's all updated. Uh, for today, I felt like, you know, it's the last day of October. October is generally considered LGBTQ History Month, and so we have a special guest for you. Let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today uh, to, to celebrate the last day of LGBTQ History Month um, is a big name. And for many of you who have tuned into the show, you, you may have heard of him. Uh, you may have talked to him even. You may have met him. Um, you certainly have read about him. He was a big name in the uh, fight to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And that is Eric Alva. Eric, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Uh, oh, um, thanks 
Yeah. So, Eric, it's been a while since uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been repealed, but uh, let's go back and remind our listeners uh, and or those who are tuning in for the first time who may not know your story. Um, let's go back and, and tell the story again, if that's okay. I know you've probably, you know, told it thousands and thousands of times, um, but you served as a staff sergeant uh, and in the Marine. And let's start with, um, you know, the day you decided to, to fight, or I'm not, I'm sorry, to, to join the military and uh, to be in the position that you eventually came to be in. Well, uh, I appreciate that, uh, Michelle. And, and again, thanks for having me uh, on this last day of LBT History Month. And I was listening to you about saying Happy Halloween, and they were 24 days away from uh, uh, Thanksgiving. On a side note, you get an extra hour of sleep uh, uh, Sunday. Remember, don't forget, uh, clocks fall back. So there you go. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to give you that little insight. Awesome. Uh, but, but, you know, um, a lot. it's interesting you say, because some people, as time goes on, history already going on, you know, we've been five years as of uh, last month, September, that the ranks have been open in, uh, to LGB uh, individuals. And now this year, more historically, uh, Secretary Cotter from the Secretary of Defense has lifted the ban on transgender and people of gender identity expression from joining the ranks of the military. So we are not all-inclusive, you know, armed forces now. But my story really, I guess it started back in 1990 when I was 19 years old joining the United States Marine Corps as a, as a gay man, which, of course, the questions used to still be asked about your sexual orientation. Uh, a couple of years later, then don't ask, don't tell, passed the law. So those questions were removed from anyone applying for the military. But then the bargain of it was that if you were to come into the military, you were not to disclose of your or uncover of your identity. Otherwise, you would be fired or imprisoned, which thousands did. Um, so I hid it and then told at the same time. So yes, I'm not proud, but I did break the law. Uh, it was something that, of course, you can't be forced to just keep that kind of hidden. Uh, for lots of reasons. But as time went on, I stayed in the military because I, I had this passion for the Marine Corps. I loved it, other than the uniform, of course. I know we look good in that uniform sometimes. Um, but as time went on, of course, then after 9-11, which changed the world forever, then I was called upon to fight terrorism, to go to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom. And, you know, um, it's interesting because I never would have expected what would have happened on the first day of the war going into Iraq was, I was on a logistical convoy headed towards Basra, and we stopped shy outside on the outskirts near Azubayir, which was the territory or province. And I stepped out of my vehicle a few times, and then on the third time, I was unfortunate because that whole time I had been near a landmine, and I triggered the landmine on the third time. Uh, my injuries were severe, a broken right arm with severe nerve damage, and if you see me publicly, physically, you can see how my right arm is literally mangled. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed a part of a finger. My left leg was broken, and my right leg was so damaged that they had to amputate it above the knee. I was the first American injured in the Iraq War um, from even all countries and allies. Um, I had only been in Iraq for three hours. So at the time, the, the war is being popular in nature because we wanted justice for what had happened to 9-11. I'm not saying they're popular because we wanted to go to war, but we wanted justice and revenge. So people paid homage to the troops so much, which they still do today. But um, at that time, the media uh, from CNN, everybody wants to talk to, oh, my goodness, he's the first, he's the first. So I got put up on this kind of, you know, title of hero and, you know, role model and things like that. But there was that secret that I was hiding, the fact that I was gay. And I think it came to a struggle, especially when Texas overwhelmingly passed their constitutional amendment in 2005. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders two years after my injury in 03 and said, well, that's just life. But then as time went on, and I was majoring in social work, 
I went back to college after I retired, medically retired, and I was majoring in social work. It's amazing what you kind of learn still at that age. And I'm in my mid-30s, and I started seeing really who I was. Not only was I disabled now, but also gay, Hispanic, and a veteran. I looked at the, the diverse background of me, but also the social identities of me, and I knew I had this, this status that I could help people. And that's when I took the courageous step to you know, contact the human rights campaign and other people and say, I will, I will help you in anything you want. And realizing, not really thinking, was when they said, well, could you help us work on legislation to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And it was mm-hmm. funny because at that time I was like, oh, I forgot about that law. And so um, so that's when I started working with, you know, HRC as their national sp- spokesperson. And it was if I hadn't been in the news before in 2003 for being the first injured in Operation Iraqi Freedom, now it was Good Morning America telling the story. And the Washington Post and the New York Times and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, the first American injured in the Iraq War is a gay Marine. And so I worked on legislation testifying in Congress in 2008. And, of course, we went through a major general election, you know, electing our first African-American president. And one of the president's promises, you know, campaign promises was that he would repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And successfully enough, you know, on a bipartisan effort, we did that in 2010. And I was very fortunate and very honored that I stood behind President Barack Obama, his right shoulder, as he signed the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell on December 22nd, 2010. Wow. Wow. Um, I can't believe that 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 was several years ago, uh, as you had yeah. mentioned. It feels like it's it's just yesterday. It does. Um, it does. So, you know, part of your activism in repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell was also testifying about Don't Ask, Don't Tell before a subcommittee. Um you know, some of the uh, testimonies, if you will, for marriage equality that we have heard in most recent years, say, you know, in the last two, three years, um, some of us in the LGBTQ community were shocked at how ridiculous <laughs> the arguments were on the um, opposing side, those who oppose marriage equality. What was it like for you uh, to, to testify, uh, you know, to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell? What kind of questions were asked of you? And what were some of the things that you might have heard from those who oppose repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Oh, my goodness. Well, I will start, you know, one of the biggest um, uh, topics or what people as far as uh, – opposition had for not repeating Don't Ask, Don't Tell was the fact that, you know, um, we would disrupt the morale, the cohesion, the, the structure, the unit, discipline, everything as far as what military is based on. And so my defense, even being asked, you know, uh, even Congressman Patrick Murphy and other people, uh, uh, Congresswoman Susan Davis, who is the chair of the House Armed Services Committee, Subcommittee of Military Personnel, asked questions about what was your service like? Uh, Sarnava, did you see any disruption? You know, did Marines know about you? And it was always yes, you know, and it was always that even going into war, we have we have missions to, of course, accomplish. And it was never about, you know, us worrying if who was gay or, or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or even in our foxhole. Um, people, you know, we had we had to survive. We were fighting a war. But the opposition always made it. And one of the things, as you hear um, um, on non non-discriminatory uh, policies is, you know, one of the biggest things was like, oh, they're going to be gay people, gay men or women are going to be staring at you in the showers, they're going to be promiscuous, they're going to be causing sexual assault and things like that, which, of course, negative stigmas, of course, across the board for LGBT members. And one of the biggest opponents of this was um, Elaine Domley. I don't have to tell you mm-hmm. who she is. I mean, everybody knows, even if, when you're very knowledgeable about LGBT individuals, especially military, Elaine Domley 
is someone who didn't even serve in the military, and she was one of the five people who sat on this uh, panel. Three were for repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and they had two for proponents on keeping Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And uh, she came with all these, you know, ludicrous remarks saying, gay people, you know, we all know that they're, they're promiscuous, they'll bring their diseases to the armed forces, they'll, they'll have sexual assaults of men raping men, women raping women. I mean, she came with all these ludicrous, you know, absurd, uh, ignorant, you know, uh, sayings that it made it made her look worse than what it made uh, the rest of us as far as testifying. And you had Captain Joan Dara, you know, who was testifying as, as someone who survived the Pentagon attack because she had been with her partner for 20-something years. Mm-hmm. You know, you had us telling the truth, which was our service, our recognition, our uh, accommodations, what we did as, as military people. We were always very well-trained, very well-professional, very disciplined. We were doing our jobs, and that's what the whole focus was. We did our jobs, and we continued to do our jobs, even in the in the stress of serving under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm-hmm. So everything for what she was saying was totally, you know, just backfiring for, on her, and, and it didn't sit well with the members of Congress who were on this committee and bipartisan. Of course, again, Republicans, independents, Democrats, things like that didn't matter. They saw that here you have two people you know, uh, testifying, and even General Vance Coleman, who was there to, you know, talk about what he faced as an oppression when he served during segregation. So he talked about what that kind of structure, especially what Don Gastontel was doing, it was hurting the armed forces more than anything because you were losing people who were quitting their jobs, who were gay, and saying, you know what, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't be hiding my partner when I go to war, things like that. So you were losing valuable people, and at the same time, you were firing valuable people who were Arabic linguists, who may have worked in traffic control, air traffic control, or fighter pilots. You are firing diligent, uh, very you know qualified people solely because of this, this irrational fear of the law, of what people felt about LGBT individuals. And as we see, you know, five years later, there hasn't hardly been, there, there isn't any downfall of the United States Armed Forces or anything. Right. I mean, there may be pockets of little scenarios, but it's... it's um, there's not what you would expect, uh, serious protests or people, you know, the, uh, we have changed for the better to protect this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mm-hmm. So anyone who still feels like Miss Donnelly, you know, probably sitting somewhere in a basement trying to figure out how to, <laughs> you know, enact Don't Ask, Don't Tell again, I mean, it's never going to happen. People are going to keep learning. And the millennials, good luck on telling them no, because they're just going to put her in her place. Exactly. So, I mean, we, we've learned and we're still learning. Because we've gotten to the point this year in 2016 where we had to understand, you know, that we could not, you know, and which kind of, it, it did hurt my feelings on December 22nd. Because when we signed the law of repeal Don't Tell, it was not all-inclusive. So it was a celebratory day of like, wow, we, we did it. We changed history. It wasn't fair to our transgender brothers and sisters who, who didn't get to, you know, uh, reap in that, 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 that glory or, mm-hmm. or cel- celebration. It was wrong. We left them out, but I understood how strategy was and everything like that. But I'm happy to see that this year in 2016, now the ban has been lifted for our trans brother and sisters to serve openly and transgender individuals. To now, if you're graduating high school and you're transgender, you can walk into a recruiting office and apply to be in the military. The laws have changed, and sure. for the better. I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts. I, I think doing some of my reading, it was understood that uh, you, while you served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you did keep your sexual orientation to yourself. However, you uh, were out to those that you served closely with, or at least, you know, somebody knew. 
Um, what were the experiences like and what were your relationships like, if you could talk about that? And if the American, you know, military system was that ignorant um, on LGBTQ issues, which made it difficult, as you had explained, as far as coming up with a strategy to even get Don't Ask, Don't Tell repealed, we had to leave the transgender community out. Um, yeah, tell us, you know, and kind of for those who are pondering that, um, if it if it really were that serious that people didn't know about LGBTQ people in the military. Now, you know, that's a, that's a good uh, point you bring up. You know, um, I don't think people are that foolish to imagine that, you know, even when you go to the gym or you're in college or you're working for AT&T or the airline industry, or that there are not LGBT individuals around you. If they're not, you know, self-disclosing or, as I call it, uncovering to you, you know, being open, you know, it, it's, it's hard for people to still imagine, you know, like, okay, well, we have no, you know, gay people in the military. Oh, forget, you know, come on. Let's be, let's be, let's be reasonable and logic there, you know. So when, when um, as human beings, we tend to be curious. I don't want to say intrusive of each other, but in a way, sometimes we are. So when I was always going to the Marine Corps ball by myself, or I was always in the barracks on a Friday night, even in, when I was stationed in Japan, rather than going out to get a date or, you know, get, you know, liquored up or something. And, you know, um, people always wondered, you know, why is he always by himself? How come he never has a girlfriend or how come he's never going out? So people would bug me. And, and even my closest friends who I had known for maybe a year, 18 months or 36 months, we became so close as brothers and sisters, my Marine brothers and sisters, I would finally get to the point where I, I couldn't tolerate it anymore. It was so disheartening to just keep lying and making up these stories and changing my pronouns that when I felt that I could trust someone, I would say, hey, can, can we talk? And they would be like, sure, what's going on, Eric? And I said, you know why I, I don't go out or anything? And they're like, ah, you know, it's okay, I understand. You know, you're kind of religious. I'm like, no, not that, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I would, I would say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gay. And they're like, are you serious? And I said, I would say yes, and, and you know, uh, nine out of ten times or ten out of ten times, they would be like, well, I'm cool. That's cool. Yeah. You don't look gay, but you're pretty tough. You're a pretty tough little guy, you know, because I'm only 5'1". And so, um, you know, they were, and then the next day they would come back and, you know, most likely go, so you're being serious. I said, why would I lie to you for you to stop bugging me? And then, if anything, it brought us every single time I had outed myself to someone. Of course, by this time, you can't keep that secret so closed up to yourself if you were married then you would go home and tell your wife well when you live in base housing it's like living in you know desperate housewives they're going to go tell the person next door or something um and so it would get out and people would just ignore it say well he's a he's a pretty good darn good marine i don't i don't have a problem with it i'm not saying anything so people knew mm -hmm. people were talking about it they just didn't talk about it out loud Mm -hmm. um, you know, and because and people were like, he does his job. And that's what the, the overall objective was. He, it's like he does his job. He's a darn good Marine. He's one of our best runners in the whole unit, blah, blah, blah. And um, if anything, then I had some of my closest friends going, you know, I feel bad that you're always in the barracks. If you want, I will take you to a gay bar. I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. But, you know, things like that. And so, um, but it, it just, it got to the point where you couldn't keep it inside anymore. And if anything... Uh, three of my Marine friends, which I just saw one this past weekend, I became their son's godfather for three of them after their sons were born. You know, so if anything, it brought us closer. Every single Marine I've ever served with, um, I still keep in touch with today, whether on Facebook or Gmail or just on the phones. And 
I mean, and, and they say the same thing, you know, um, Eric, I've learned a lot from you. You know, I've learned how to look at life and, you know, I used to think differently because I didn't know better and I'm sorry. Or, I mean, I mean, they wear like HRC hats now because they, they, they want to say clearly, Hey, I'm open-minded or I may have a wife and kids, but that doesn't mean I, I don't like gay people. I, I my brothers are gay, my, my Marine brothers and sisters. So, I mean, if anything, I, it's like I've changed people's hearts and minds as well. And, um, and they've changed mine because I automatically assume at the same time when we have prejudice, oh, that person's not going to accept me because, you know, they're Republican, they're conservative, or mm-hmm. they are voting for Trump, or things like that. You can't always assume that because, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't always come out the same way until you, you know, really get to know someone and then you see it's the life that you see about them and, and then people respect that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And on, a, on that note, um, let's take a quick break right here. But when we come back, I think uh, we'll switch to talking about life now after Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, and drop in some po- uh, political questions, if that's okay. Sure. All right. Don't go away. All right. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.com. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining joining me here on this Monday, this happy Halloween Monday, um, by the way. Uh, for those of you who are celebrating, please remember to be safe. That goes to, to not just adults, but <laughs> to children as well. Or I should say not to just children, but adults as well. That's right. And if you're drinking, you know, be uh, be safe and be responsible. 
Um, our special guest today is retired staff sergeant from the Marine Corps, uh, Eric Alva, who is very instrumental in helping us repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Since it's the last day of LGBTQ History Month, I thought you know hearing from El- uh, Eric would be amazing. It would be awesome and kind of reliving what life was like when we had that uh, policy. But um, now that you know we're back from the break and we've heard this is just kind of the history of how Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, I want to take our conversation, um, you know, to a different road because it's an interesting time for us all um, here in America, especially with this year being an election year and we're looking at electing what we hope, I think, for most of the people who are tuning into this program, electing uh, the first female president of the United States, and that would be Secretary uh, Hillary Clinton. So, Eric, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me again. Um, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the election very quick. I think you know before the break you were talking about you know we should definitely give people a chance to get to know them and them to get to know us, and that's just kind of how change happens. And I love that. You know that is exactly what it's like even for me and my family. Uh, but this election has really brought out the ugly in I think a lot of people, <laughs> and all of a sudden we're recognizing you know how. Uh, I guess I'll just go out and say it, how racist, how sexist, how homophobic, you know, um, even our, uh, you know, our neighbors and or you know, strangers can be here in this country. I think you might have an interesting perspective considering, you know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was installed by uh, President Bill Clinton. And here we are after Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been repealed, um, maybe even electing now his wife, Hillary Clinton, and, and kind of what your thoughts are on, you know, LGBT rights and what that might look like under, you know, President Hillary Clinton if elected? Well, I mean, I, I think we're going to continue to move forward. I mean, we still have, uh, we don't we don't have employment non-discrimination as far as, you know, workplace uh, 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 non-discrimination. So we still have to accomplish that. I mean, there, you know, uh, I think we're going to move forward as far as, you know, uh, not just as far as for LGBT individuals, but for women for equal pay, which, you know, after um, I finally went back to college and I got my degree in social work. So now I have a key for people from all walks of life, as I say it. And I actually have people from all walks of life on my Facebook. And, and, and sometimes and it, and it is uh, uh, it is one of the most sensitive elections, probably the sensitive elections or you know, trying elections we've ever seen. So when I say I have people from all walks of life, I have, I, I live in Texas, so we either all, you know, wear boots and cowboy hats or, you know, just like the movie Miss Virginia Adderley where she's like, even my hairstylist has a gun, you know, and that's true too. But, you know, uh, I have so many gay friends who are Republican and actually voting for Trump. And when I tell people that, they're like, what? How's that possible? Everybody? Yeah. You know you know what? People, people are who they are, you know? And then I have a lot of my macho... Marine friends who who I would automatically stereotype as you know Trump supporters, they're voting for Clinton, you know. So I mean, you know, <laughs> don't always assume or 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 uh, see what you know uh, label some label someone or you know anyone for what you think you might think they are. Like all gay people are for Clinton, and all conservatives are for Trump. I mean, we look how many people have literally come out. It's even I think lastly Colin Powell has now even come out too you know, support Clinton and things like that. So it's one of the wackiest elections I've ever will ever see, and I'm, I'm about to turn 46, so in my lifetime. So it makes it interesting how the next, you know, um, eight days will be, you know, from tomorrow. So, um, but I think we're going to keep moving forward because I really mm-hmm. do have to 
uh, optimism that she will be elected and uh, for all the right reasons, you know, and I, I think she's going to keep, we're going to keep moving forward as, as far as, you know, for, for LGBTQA individuals, as far as, you know, making sure people's lives are taken care of mm-hmm. and, and not continuously hurt or, or pounced upon. But I think it's, you know, it, it's for the right reasons. I mean, these, these are the reasons, you know, I was fighting for our freedom so people can be treated equally in this country. And, and that was one of the things I actually told one of the AP reporters, you know, when they asked, why did you come out now, Eric, after four years after your injury? And I, it, it hit me. It took me a while. But, you know, when I went to war, it was for all the rights, freedoms, liberties, and happinesses of every single individual, not just the selected few, like the Trumps or the Greg Abbott here in Texas or the Senator Cruz's or the, you know, uh, the Christie's or, or, you know, the Giuliani's. It's not for the selected few. Those rights and freedoms and people's happiness belong to every single person themselves. And right. So um, I think Clint's going to keep that moving. You know, uh, well, I don't think I know she'll keep that moving. Yeah. You know, and she will work with opposition who say, blah, 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 you know, I don't want to work with her. Well, you know, if you're really going to be that strong about not working with someone and feel that hateful, then you have a lot to really, you know, I, would, I wouldn't want to be that person going to sleep at night and have that much grudge on them because I don't see how they could sleep. Yeah. Well, let's let's um, talk about a, a different angle uh, other than, you know, LGBTQ rights under a an elected you know president, Hillary Clinton, or if elected. What are your thoughts on, you know, just our foreign affairs, uh, having done a tour in Iraq, um, having fought for, you know, American freedom, not just LGBT, you know, freedom, but all Americans? um Again, like the conversations that are coming out of this election have been so horrible. And for someone like yourself who has the experience, who grew up in, you know, military family, very loyal um, in that way, what are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I hate, I hate to, you know, really say this, uh, uh, Michelle. It's, you know, I have a feeling that, you know, um, you know, I know uh, Clint has made it perfectly clear that she does not want to, you know, put troops into the Middle East again. But. I don't see any way other. I don't see any other way around it. I mean, I, I'm not that skilled on foreign policy, but from my experiences, I mean, we've already. I have. I've had several friends who've already gone back to Iraq, even after the war ended, or we withdrew. We turned things over to the Iraqi uh, forces, um, and I have friends who are slated to head to the Middle East soon. And I have friends the same in Afghanistan. I don't. I do not see. Uh, I do not see us not going into Iraq for another time, which would be this would be the third time, or you know. Uh, I, I just, it, it, I see it as almost inevitable. I hate saying that, and I, I know people would probably, you know, pounce on me for saying that, but I, from experience, as you asked, I, I, I see it possibly uh, no other way to, to combat ISIS, um, you know, to that, that we, we will end up in the Middle East again. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's unfortunate, and I, and I maybe, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Uh, but, you know, and then, of course, you have to deal with, with ISIS into the whole, you know, uh, a region of Syria, and and we were always so close to Syria, being in Iraq and fighting on the Syrian border. That you know that that is a situation that that's gonna that'll come come back, and you know we as a country have to come together and, and make a decision on what to do about that in the region. At the same time, protect our uh, our uh, uh, you know here at home. Look, we just had that bombing in New York a few weeks ago or a month and a half ago. We still have we still have the threat of terrorism here and. Now even our own citizens, you know, um, expressing loyalty to ISIS and never maybe even going to join ISIS, but causing harm here. I mean, so so we are in a very sensitive time in, in you know, in, in our lives where we just, you know, we don't feel safe. 
and, and I heard you earlier, you know, you people going out for, you know, Halloween tonight, that the one key thing is always to be safe because we just don't know anymore. This is a sensitive time in our nation, not just between elections or race wars. You know, I mean, we, we literally are in a, in a race war right now. Um, so, I mean, it, it, I want to say, and I always keep optimistic as not far as being a very religious person, you know, um, but, you know, I pray that, that, you know, things do get better and that we can learn from each other, especially like accepting LGBT individuals at the military. It was such a trying time to, to get to that. And now here it is five years later. And it's like a, a, a thing of the past where it's so common. We just don't even bring it up anymore. We've, we've gotten used to it. But, you know, this year, along with, with the rhetoric and the loss of civility on people, how they talk to each other and the name-calling and, I mean, it, and, and, of course, you know, the labeling of, you know, our, our Muslim American brothers and sisters, you know, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, uh, we've, we've, here it is, 2016, almost 2017, and we're, we've, we've kind of gone backwards as far as a nation where, I mean, now even the protest of, you know, like uh, Kaepernick kneeling and then what that does to people, you know, when, you know, talking about people and getting mad and, you know, why are they kneeling? It's a national anthem, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's his right. That's what I was fighting for. I may not agree with it, but, you know, I respect his decision, but would I do it? No. I mean, it's his, it's his right. That's what I was fighting. It's his freedom of his, his expression to protest, you know? So, I mean, but I right. just, you know, so things like that. I great, mean, great point. And, and that leads, you know, it's a it's a it actually leads to my last question for you. Um, and, you know, talking about sports, talking about, you know, just changes that we can make when the United States Army, the military itself is being 100 percent inclusive now, as you had mentioned, allowing for anyone to serve in the military. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the discrimination or the, the hate is there or that it's gone. Uh, you look at, you know, the NFL, you look at the NBA, you look at other uh, organizations here in this country that still doesn't have 100 percent inclusion in, in as far as like, you know, kind of how they operate. What's next for Eric Alva <laughs> as a retired staff sergeant, but also a, a continued voice for what sounds like, you know, equal treatment, equal rights for everyone? Well, it's interesting you ask what's next, right? So what's the one thing you think, what's the one thing you uh, can imagine everybody wants me to get involved in? Uh, well, <laughs> politics. It's not yeah. happening. I will not get into politics. No. I mean, you know, uh, I am no angel, so I'm afraid even the way, I don't, I mean, I'm afraid what, what come up would come up on my email <laughs> to make a joke. <laughs> uh, but no, really, you know what, I'd rather stay in the trenches. And, and be that kind of grunt, as we call it, like in the infantry and the Marine Corps. I'd rather do the groundwork and work, you know, uh, in the meetings and communicating, you know. And um, communication is so important to me in life, and I, I even use it, you know, as far as talking to family and friends. And they're like, we're not military, Eric. Stop saying that. Well, you know what? I think communication is, is one of the most important key uh, parts of life, and, and I'd rather stay in that the trench is working, uh, whether it's phone banking, blank, uh, block walking, lobbying, or going to volunteer work, going to, to rallies, you know, and, and to making sure people's lives are taken care of. You know, I, I work at a university now with students, uh, which I only work part-time because I'm still military retired, but I love mentoring people. I love sharing my story. I love hearing people's stories of the struggles they went through. Um, and, and now where they're at today as far as having the strength and the will to, like, stand up to adversity and, and, and oppression and discrimination. Um, I think it's great that, that how we're moving, but it, in a way it still it saddens me 
daily, uh, I'll be honest, Michelle, to see the news, uh, right. to see how, as a nation, we have, have pract- I'm surprised we're practically not in a civil war, uh, but it's just sad how people take life for granted because, and I'll end with this, we are only promised today. You know, I'm going to go home and give out candy with my husband today to the kids, and, you know, when I wake tomorrow, it's another day because tomorrow doesn't exist. It's just a word. When you wake tomorrow, it's another promised day, and, and you never know what could be. So live every day to the fullest. I mean, it's the one life we have. Eric, I want to thank you so much, not uh, just for being here on the program today, but more importantly for helping us repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, for putting your life on the line, um, you know, for LGBT rights and also for all American rights and just continuing to be that strong voice for all of us. So thank you so much for all that you have done and continue to do. Well, likewise, I just got goosebumps because, you know, uh, I get to share my story and it's because of people like you and who uh, invite me to talk and things like that. So it's, it's a two-way street. Thank you so <laughs> much for, for having me and it was, it was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's Eric Alva, everyone. And uh, I encourage every one of you to do some reading. Um, I think that you should definitely go out there and and make sure that you get all the information, especially going back and finding out, you know, what Don't Ask, Don't Tell was like during that process of repealing. That's all part of LGBTQ history. And I know that that's important, especially for those of you who didn't live through the times of liberation, um, and especially those of you that I consider young (laughs) and in school. Anyway, don't go away. When we come back, we speak to Dr. Mason Turner of Kaiser Permanente and his thoughts on dating online, that is, dating online and how preferred treatment, or I should say preferred dating, how that impacts uh, the community and what that could do to even you as a user. So don't go away. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Sines, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. 
Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Dating. Wow, what a great topic. <laughs> and I just mentioned here on the show uh, just recently, I went through a breakthrough, uh, breakup. And so in my mid-30s, I'm now trying to discover myself and trying to think about what dating is going to be like for me. I've never tried online dating, by the way. I, I, I came out at 19 years old, had a same-sex experience, and figured out that I loved it. It was right. It was natural. And then, you know, had a series of really serious relationships. Well, for those of us who have tried online dating, it's become kind of like the big thing. It's like, it's like a normal thing, I think, in fact. That's just how people are meeting one another these days rather than the traditional or conventional, you know, bar and or aisle of the grocery stores <laughs> in which you connected over a fresh apple. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand that and I get it. I don't think I'll venture into it, but one can argue with me. Anyway, when I bring up online dating, though, it's hard for me to not recognize how abusive the environment of online dating can be. Just the other day, I tried the whole swiping thing on Tinder, and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of mean. It's mean to reject people based off of what they look like. And then when you start reading descriptions of what people are actually looking for, it, you kind of start to feel even more rejection because they're so specific. They got a specific body type, a specific race. Um, they want you to look a certain way. And it all becomes just all too much. Well, we've talked a lot about how it impacts the LGBTQ community, and so I thought I would turn to our good friend, Dr. Mason Turner, who's chief of psychiatry at Kaiser Permanente of San Francisco, to talk about online dating and how it impacts the LGBTQ community. Dr. Turner, thanks for coming back. Great. Thanks for having me. So, yes, online dating and everything I just said about it, I mean, there's just a lot of pressure. I just can't see how people actually enjoy online dating. Yeah, so online dating has probably become the primary vehicle that people use to meet other individuals for dating, uh, for sex, looking for long-term relationships and what have you. And in some ways, online dating has a promise behind it that is really, it's great, right? You can look through all these individuals, you can uh, get rid of the stigma around uh, dating, uh, same-sex dating and those kinds of things. But at the same time, we think about online dating, it has some of the same problems and many more say that email communications do. So first of all, when you are contacting someone in an online dating site, there's no emotional context to what you're writing. What you're writing is something that the recipient is going to interpret in a certain way, but you're writing it from a particular way that you choose to communicate. So you're writing something from your voice that is being interpreted by another person without any emotional context. So that recipient can read whatever they want to into that, that statement or that email that you send them. And that's rife with problems because as human beings, we are really designed to read emotions, read facial expressions, and we're social creatures. 
And so a flat electronic medium of communication doesn't always work for us very well. Great point. And this is coming from a medical professional, by the way. I mean, by no means am I trying to trash Grinder and Tinder and all those guys, because if it works for you, it does. But uh, for me, I am absolutely, I guess the, the right word would be concerned about the impacts, the negative impact or, you know, how it affects one's um, self-esteem if you are engaged in online dating. So if we could kind of, let's let's start with, you know, gay men specifically. What I've heard a lot from users of Grindr sounds, it sounds dangerous. It sounds like the uh, experience of trusting that person that might, you know, be a good idea to I'm trying to use more technical terms, but in the gay community, it's, it's, you know, to hook up and to hang out with someone who is gay and you don't have to do that guessing game anymore. Is that, will that person, you know, is that person gay or are they not? You, you just have it ready on an app. But I find that the outcome is, it can be absolutely dangerous. It can be dangerous in a couple of different ways that I think are important to emphasize. One of them is it's dangerous to our sense of self-esteem and our psychological health sometimes. So when we think about apps uh, like Grindr or Tinder, those kinds of apps, those are based on a series of statements we make about what we look like, and more importantly, pictures that could have been taken at various times in our lives. They could be doctored pictures, they could have been photoshopped, what have you. And people who are actually using those apps and they look at those pictures, maybe they're not real pictures. Maybe they're doctored in such a way that no one could look like that. I think for many, many years, women in particular have been dealing with what the media puts out as an ideal body image for a woman. And now I think rather than limiting the influence of that particular type of advertising in the past, we've expanded it to uh, straight men, gay men, men across the board, lesbians, straight women. They're, they're all dealing with kind of these body image issues that are really being multiplied by the fact when you go on Tinder or Grindr, you see a flat picture, and you don't really see the fullness of that individual's personality or really what they look like. You know, one of the things that's definitely out there and being discussed widely would be the the prevalent amount of racism that exists within the apps. Um, and, you know, pe- people argue that it's preference versus racism. And, and then some people think it's the same thing. You know, what are your thoughts? You're, you're hitting on a very, very important point, which is that, yes, this is technically speaking, if you think about it, it's preference. You're trying to sort or you're trying to look at people based on what your preferences are around someone that you find sexually attractive, for example. The problem is these kinds of apps, and I would say this extends to all of the online dating apps, they categorize us, right? So they categorize us based on a certain ethnicity, a height, a weight, a certain body type, an age you know, even a gender. Uh, these things are all very binary. And I think that in some ways, uh, we are just further emphasizing the importance of those types of characteristics. When we use these kinds of apps and we're sorting people based on the fact they're between six feet and six two. You know, these, are, these are really just further emphasizing these differences in, in what we look like and how we act. What could be some long-term effects of online dating, especially if it's, you know, continuous abuse? If you're experiencing racism or you're shaming yourself because of body images that, you know, the users are looking for and you don't fit that body type and or, you know, you you just have 
felt like you failed in some of the meetups. You haven't you haven't found the right one through these apps. What do you think are some long term impacts on uh, the LGBTQ community? Well, I think some of the long-term impacts, if you approach online dating from a certain perspective and don't understand that there are going to be some inherent risks in, in online dating and trying to work around those, you potentially can really feel badly about yourself. As you said, if you have a bunch of failed hookups, for example, or you have a bunch of failed dates that don't really go anywhere and that person says, you know, really, I, I was looking for somebody a little bit taller or with a different body type or you actually look older than your stated age, those kinds of issues. Over time, that really becomes very difficult and challenging for us as human beings to understand and incorporate into our self-image. And I, I think that can be very damaging for people in the long term if they hear those messages over and over and over again. It's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. 
and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Definitely. I think you made a great um, connection as, uh, as well, you know, with women who had been told what their bodies are supposed to look like. And that's not just uh, on an app. <laughs> that's everyday life and in the media. And so now, uh, you know, you see the long term effects and that would be things like eating disorders and or, you know, going the extra mile to look a certain way. Um, do you think that it's possible that these apps can make it more safe for for people who want to enjoy, you know, online dating? I mean, are there things that they could possibly do? Yes, I always recommend to people, especially with more of the online dating sites versus the online hookup sites, and I think we know there are differences between those two, right? But the online dating sites, I think you really have to approach that in a very casual fashion. Understand that these dating apps and these dating sites are really designed to be an entree into a relationship, a way to actually introduce yourself to someone. But the same, the same ideas that have been present for you know, decades, centuries, millennia around how we interact with other people really still apply. So you meet someone from an online dating app, you develop a friendship, you talk to them, and you, you become attracted to that person for who they are, not for what they look like. And I think if you go into an online dating application and you really understand what you're doing is you're finding a way to meet people and really not concentrate on that so much after you've had that initial introduction, you'll actually fare better uh, with those online dating apps. And one of the other things that I think uh, the media hasn't done a good job talking about, you know, the absolute danger that you can face at certain users because of, you know, the the fact that you can put up any photo or pretend like you're someone else, that some people, criminals, you know, have used it to to burglarize or to to beat, you know, some of the users. And I think that we're not talking about that enough. Absolutely. You're really putting yourself in physical danger sometimes. And there, there are two ways, I think, that I would emphasize this. One is what you just said, that certainly there are people who uh, hijack these apps or they use them in a certain way to actually gain access to individuals. And, and those individuals, those are, can be quite dangerous. But there's something else that's important to recognize, that when we meet someone face-to-face, if you see someone in a bar, you actually have a conversation with them, you're maybe attracted to them initially, share a few words with them, your instincts will kick in and tell you if you need to be afraid of that person, or maybe it's not the right way to go. We're really making those instincts blind when we're using these online apps. And you really have to think about how do you maximize your instincts in these situations. Chat with that person a little bit longer than you might ordinarily. Don't accept a meeting with someone you know, after just one or two messages that you've exchanged. Meet out in a public place for the first time. Don't meet in your home or those kinds of things. Again, to give you that idea that you can sit with the person activate your instincts, and then understand whether this is a safe situation for you. Dr. Turner, we had you on previously in which we talked about depression and the aging community. And you had mentioned that, you know, feeling connected is important, whether that's going out and uh, joining something that feels like community to you, or even, yes, you know, online communication, you can feel, you know, connected as well. Um, how does that apply to online dating and and if that is could be a positive tool for feeling connected if you are dealing with something like depression 
Absolutely. I think you raise a really important point, which applies not only to online dating. I would argue it could apply to these online hookup apps as well, Mm -hmm. as well as even social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and what have you. But I think, again, you have to go into this with the attitude that you're using it as a way to meet individuals, keeping a really clear and open mind about what's going to happen as a result of that experience. If you go on to an online dating app and you expect that immediately you're going to meet the love of your life and you're going to get married and live the next 30 years happily together, you may get lucky, probably not, but you may get lucky. But if you go into it and say, you know, I'd like to to meet a few different people, have coffee, you know, with a few different individuals, get to know them a little bit better, and then sort out who I actually want to get to know even better than that. And I think when you go into it with that kind of healthy attitude, then it can be very, very helpful in terms of increasing your level of connectedness. And again, I like what you said earlier, which is around, you know, we don't want to necessarily disparage these apps because Mm -hmm. some people really have learned how to use them in a very, very healthy way. I have many patients, friends, even family members who've learned how to do that. And I think you really have to understand how you use these apps, how you protect yourself and your safety, and really setting your expectations and being very clear about those expectations with other individuals. Absolutely. And and I kind of look at it like any other, you know, dangerous situation that you could possibly put yourself in. If you say, for example, walked into a foreign country, you know, they tell you don't go outside with your passport or (laughs) don't walk into dark alleys. I I find online dating to be just that. I uh, oftentimes will advise even my older, you know, LGBTQ friends to be careful of users who are looking to take advantage of a financial situation. At the same time, I find myself talking to my, you know, younger LGBTQ friends, especially of millennial age, that they shouldn't be so careless or so fearless because you just don't know who the user is on the other end. Um, And and it just sounds like, you know, we have to like, I guess, uh, uh, I guess put parental controls on ourselves when we're talking about online dating. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) Absolutely. Put parental controls on yourself. And then also say that no matter how many messages you exchange with someone, no matter how many pictures you've shared, no matter how well you think you know someone electronically, you're never going to know them as well as you will when you meet them in person and have a conversation. And so I think that's important to keep in mind as well that, you know, you're getting to know somebody, you have some information about them, but you're going to need to pick up the phone or better yet, kind of meet them in a public place and talk with them before you really understand kind of more about who they are. And even then, you may still have some issues. (laughs) Last question for you, Dr. Turner. I mean, if you're going on, is there a healthy amount of, you know, or or number of dates that one can go on before you start telling yourself that you might have a, you know, a problem? I mean, does it matter? In terms of the number of dates, uh, hookups and those kinds of things on the online sites? Using online dating and, you know, is it horrible to be a serial online dater? Or, you know, should should there be a number that one can consider as a comfortable, healthy uh, amount of dates, you know? I wouldn't say there's a number of, of dates that you necessarily would say is healthy or unhealthy, but look at it from a more holistic perspective. If you find that you go to work um, while you're at work all day long, you're on an online dating or hookup website, you go home and you're doing the same thing to the you know, detriment of any kind of social interactions, you're not engaging in things that really bring you pleasure because of it, then you probably have some kind of problem that you need to talk with someone about. On the other hand, if you have time to be able to have a very diverse experience, do a lot of different things that you enjoy, and really uh, be out and among other people, at least some while you're looking at some of the online websites, you're probably okay. So it's really about how much you're getting done outside of those online websites. 
Um, my guess is if you have any questions uh, regarding online dating, how you're feeling, I mean, you can always reach out to someone to, that you feel comfortable talking to uh, and or see someone that you, if you think that you need medical or professional help. And you could do that by going to Kaiser Permanente or KP.org, right? That's correct. You can go to KP.org and there's information for you there to look at. Dr. Turner, thanks again for coming back and for talking to us about what we need to take into consideration uh, while dating online. Great. Thank you so much.